Welcome to Christian Family Center. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy today's message as we preach on living, loving, walking, and influencing for Jesus. Be blessed. 14 days to our birthday. Actually, less than 14. The 22nd of June, 1932, is the earliest record of us being established as a church. You need to know as a church, we were in existence before that because life group was being held. Home group or a home fellowship was being held in the the house of Jack and Topsy Yasso uh, way before 1932. So, But 1932 is the earliest AOG record that says we existed as a a corporate fellowship. And so we take our 80th birthday from the 22nd of June, 1932. And I've been doing a lot of reflecting, especially over the last four years and the journey that we've been on as a church. The last four years, the last 40 years, the last 80 years. And you know, when I arrived here four years ago, and it's four years in a few months, uh, there were two boards up on the side of the church over here with, I think it was green and, and white banners that said, it is a new day. It is, a, oh, okay, cool. Just me that's excited about that. It is a new day that, that as a church we were proclaiming that God was ushering in a new day and that there was something exciting that God was doing in his house. There is something exciting that God was doing in his church. There was something exciting that God was doing in his community. You see, 80 years ago, God breathed life into this church. That it came from like, when you look at Abraham was a man, a single man who then had a wife and had a child. And out of that man, that wife and child, we find years later with Joseph, it having grown to 70 people. And then we find years later, 400 years later, it being a nation of millions of people that threatened the Egyptian kingdom. From one man, God built a nation. From one man whose wife was barren, God built something significant. God built something awesome that would produce the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who would take our sin on the cross and set us free. You see, from one man again came a whole nation. Well, from one man came Jew and Gentile, reconciled as one under the name of God, as children of the most high God called Christians because we take our name from being Christ followers. I don't know about you, but that excites me. 80 years ago, God breathed life into this church and said, I place a mandate within you. I place a purpose within you. Oh, go and let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to God in heaven. And God has not removed the mandate. Pastor has come in, pastor has gone out. Board have come in, board have come out. Leadership team have been raised up, leadership team have moved on. Next leadership team, people have been born and buried out of this church, but the mandate remains because it's not bound to a man. It's bound to this house. It's not bound to a person. It's the purpose of this house. And God's purpose is that we would be a lighthouse church. And when I walked in here that Sunday and saw those banners, I got excited. It's a new day. God is shining his light to the ends of the earth. And God picks a church in Bowen, in Blowen Bowen. God picks a church and says, I am putting my light in there so that it may shine across the nations of this world. I don't know about you, but that's our mandate. 
That's who God's called us to be, individually as believers, but corporately as a church as well. And I remember the day Uncle Reynolds got up and he shared and he said, we've never been this way before. Do you know how much that excites me? Because one thing that I don't like doing is playing, here we go around the mulberry bush, the mulberry bush, the mulberry bush, here we go around the mulberry bush. I don't even know the rest of the song, it was boring. Because all you keep doing is going around and around and around and around and around. God is moving us somewhere. God's got us on a journey forward. God's got us on a path forward. When I put my hand up and said yes to Jesus, Jesus had a plan and a purpose for my life that had a motion and had a direction moving forward. Jesus' plan for my life was never to move in circles. Jesus' plan for your life was never to operate in a circle, but to move forward from glory to glory, from precept to precept, into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's the way God was moving us forward, forward, forward. And so when Uncle Reynolds said, we'll never be the same again, I went, hallelujah. It was prophetic then, but it's real now. You see, when it was shared two years ago, it was a prophetic word out of the heart of a man who knows this house and who, out of the heart of a man who knows the mandate of God on this house, out of the heart of a man who moved in obedience to the unction of the Holy Spirit and said, we've never been this way before. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a little bit scary when you have to take a trip on a path you've never been before. You can use a, a, a sat-nav and all these sorts of stuff, but it's still nerve-wracking. I remember traveling in Brisbane. I'm really excited. I'll slow down. <laughs> the sound file can't even keep up with me. <laughs> I remember traveling in Brisbane and, and, and looking at, at, at the navigation system on the iPhone. And it said, go straight down this road. And we moved straight down that road. I was directing at my senior pastor back then from Toowoomba. And we went down this road. And I said to him, he said, are you sure? I think this is a dead end. I said, well, the navigation device says down this road. We got to the bottom, and it was a dead end. And I was really annoyed that the device had said go there. You see, sometimes in life, we can head down a dead end. And we've got to be careful. Otherwise, you've got to retrace your steps to get to the place where you deviated so that you might move on. God is into doing his will, and he wants his will executed in the life of the church. So I like being where we've never been before, because God, that means we're growing. That means we're doing new things. That means God is taking us further along the journey. You know, my greatest heart is that the next person who follows us or the next leadership team or the next board that follows and please I'm not going anywhere anyway but when God says your time's up your time's up but that the next person who comes in here in this role or the next board or the next praise and worship leader or the next youth pastor the next children's pastor don't start back to beginning again you see I've seen that so many times a new person comes in it's like we have to reset all the clocks to zero and let's start again and we go through the whole journey again And then someone leaves, and then we've got to go back to the beginning and go through the whole journey again. You see, I don't see that 
in the Old Testament. God revealed himself to the church piece by piece and they got a greater understanding and a greater knowledge and a greater accomplishment of what he was doing. When you look at the church in the New Testament, God was doing exactly the same thing. Paul didn't come back and say, I'm resetting all your clocks. He said, no, I come and he added two. And he said, if we preach anything or even if angels preach anything but Christ crucified, well then chuck us out. Then he said, we're building on what Jesus taught. And he encouraged the people he was discipling to take that message further. So it's cool to be traveling down a road where we've never been before. But I'm here to tell you today, it is a new day. We've never been this way before. But I'm here to prophesy this morning, and we will never be the same again. Hello? We will never be the same again. We ain't going back. We're going forward. But we ain't going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're going to hold on to the stuff that we've got along the way. God has blessed us from the past with resources, with facilities, with musicians, with the grace of worship on this house, an anointing to go out and take the gospel out, to reach other towns around us, to reach other nations. That's it. We're not going to throw all that out. But we're going to go forward and forward and forward. Because I don't want to reset the clock. And I don't want the person coming after me or the next youth pastor or the next woman's leader or the, to reset the clock. We're building upon building upon building. That way a building gets built. That way a building gets built. That way we get built. You see, our cry over the last, my cry over the last few months has been, why do we do church the way we do it? You're all getting really quiet and staring at me intently. Why do we do church the way we do? And we've been crying out, God, I'm tired of living in a valley of dry bones. God, I'm tired of doing same old, same old, same old. God, what? Oh, God, we just want to do something that brings glory to your name. God, we want to do something that brings benefit to other people. You see, we've got to understand We are a community of believers who believe in community. With lifestyles, the way we walk, influence, live, and love people. A community of believers with lifestyles that declare. We make a noise about one thing and one thing only, and that is that Jesus is the Christ. That's the noise we make. Paul said that's the only sound that you should make. He's Jesus. He's the Christ. He is the crucified Savior. And he rose again and is at the right hand of God the Father, preparing a place that when God says, your bride has made herself ready, she is without spot and blemish. Go fetch her that he comes on a horse with trumpets and angels and a whole lot of other things, both nasty and nice. And he comes down and he raptures us up to heaven you see the word rapture is not in the Bible but it is a description of being taken from this earth the Bible is full of the explanation of what Jesus is going to do and out there there are people that are saying false prophets preaching about the rapture's already happened it hasn't, the rapture's going to happen in your body, it can't because this is going to this is mortal 
But God says, hey, I'm preparing a bride for you. Jesus, I'm preparing her when she's ready. She's called the local church. She's called the house of believers. Oh, brothers and sisters. And she has been made ready for you. We're a community of believers with lifestyles that declare the truth that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Christ. And God's mandate to us is that we would put footprints all over the Sundays, and that the footprints would run south as far as it can go, north, west, and the footprints would even run across the ocean to nations. You see, this church has been instrumental in, in going across the water and doing some amazing things in the nations of this world. That's our mandate. Our mandate is Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they would see your Father in heaven and give him all the glory. And my mandate was to release the kids to go to kids' church, and I'm sorry. I got really excited. <laughs> sorry, Cam. If you're a kid and you want to go to kids' church, off you go. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> We're all human, hey? But they were sitting so still. <laughs> All right. You see, we had Pastor Jeremy Griffiths here recently, and he said, get ready. Get ready. Get ready. The camels are coming. And if you haven't heard that message, it's available on podcast from our church as a podcast. So you can go online and have a look. Or if you can't, don't understand the technology, well, ask anyone 25 and under, and they will explain it to you. But we do have CDs if you want a copy of his message. And it was a prophetic message, and I don't have time to tell his story and the story of what, how he got here and, and, and how we got to share and how God gave him that message. But suffice to say, it was a prophetic message. And in it, he said God had to have grown a whale way before to have the right size, swimming to be in the right position, that when Jonah didn't do what he was meant to do and they threw him overboard, the whale was there to catch him. That Isaac had a bride prepared for him, that way before someone had to give birth to a child that had to be raised. God took care of it all before. And I believe that 80 years is all coming together for what God is doing and going to do through us in the next season. We have not, as 80, reached the end of our life. Far be it, we're only just about ready to start. When I look at Moses, he was 40 years, and then he spent 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert, finding himself and learning to trust God. And at his 80th birthday, God called Moses out. Moses then served for 40 years, from 80 to 120, at which point he died healthy. Hello, he died healthy. And I believe that's the season we're heading into as a church. The 40 years that Moses went out to do the work and the will of God the Father. And we're going to stay healthy. You see, over these last few weeks, I've really been praying and seeking God for the season that lays ahead. And I've been meeting with some people that are my mentors and praying and caught up with Pastor Dolph and a few of the key leadership team and processed with them. And God, through a series of events, put a word in my heart. And together with that word, he gave me a scripture, which I shared last week. 
God gave a prophetic word to the Israelite nation then, and it's real for us today. Zechariah 7 and Zechariah 8. You see, God rebuked the nation because they were making it all about the rituals, the processes, and the traditions. And he said, Why? what are you doing? It's not about tradition, it's about people. And I encouraged us last week that to God's rebuke should come a repentance, which we did last week. God then reminds the nation through the prophet Zechariah that it's about love and the way they treat other people and compassion and kindness and being fair and just. And I encouraged us through the preaching of the word that our right thing to do would be to respond and to do as God requested. God says, wouldn't this be an awesome place that this would be known as a good city to grow old in, a good city for a child to grow up in. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And God's got plans for us. And so when God says, Hey, I will restore, our response is to start rebuilding. And God says, Hey, there's going to be a result. People are going to come from all over because they're going to want to know what is different about you. And it's not that we're going to do church smarter than anyone. It's just because we have so fallen in love with the Lord. It's that we've so fallen in love with God. That we're so in love of worshipping Jesus. And that that love that fills us, that intimate relationship that we seek with God, will naturally, my cup runs over, bubble out of us and into every other relationship we have. It's all about God and it's all about people. And God says, hey, they will come a reward. And we're not chasing the reward. We're not doing this because there's a result that's got a reward attached to it. No, we're chasing the rewarder of man, and his name is Jesus. We're chasing God. And when you look at those eight hours right at the end of the message on Sunday night, I said, so, we're going to regroup. We're going to regroup. And what does that regroup look like? Well, in 538 BC, which Zechariah's prophecy comes out of, it says that when they came back out of captivity with Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the first thing they do is build an altar and worship God. Then they start to lay a foundation to rebuild the temple. They get a little bit of opposition and they stop. And nothing happens for several years. And then Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets, start to encourage the nation to do the mandate that God gave them. And as he encourages them, they start to build. And shortly, they complete the temple, and it is finished. In 570, uh, sorry, 515 BC, it is finished. And they now have a place for the presence of God to dwell. They have a place of formal worship. But it takes until 445 BC when Nehemiah comes back. Nehemiah, and you can read this account in the book of Nehemiah, was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. Nehemiah had a position of influence. He literally was one of the few people who had the ear of the king. And as he walks around the king's courts one day, the king notices that he is upset and sad and miserable and says to him, why do you find yourself in such a place? And so Nehemiah gets permission to go and inquire on how the rebuilding of Jerusalem 
is going along. He knew the temple had been finished, but he understood that they probably hadn't done much more, and he went to inquire. We understand the end of the story is that when Nehemiah finally gets there and gets in their face and starts to talk to them about what's going on, we find out that in 52 days they rebuild the walls, the gates of the city. A miraculous feat. By engineering terms, almost humanly impossible, even today, to rebuild a wall of that size and replace the gates with the equipment they had back then in 52 days. And we find, as the psych says, there's a picture of a sword in a trowel. There's the word structure, built like a wall or a door. God is into rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the gates. God is into providing structure in his local church so that she might be safe and she might accomplish all that God has called her to be. You see, it's one thing to just play church, which is what they'd been doing by then. It's another thing to provide protection for a community and to provide covering for a community and to be on the lookout for the community and to ensure that there was safety and provision and resources within the wall. The Bible says that when it goes well with the church, it goes well with the town. Hello? And so often we turn around and we say, the town's a feral place. What are we saying about us? Hello? What are we saying about us? Because we've just played church. How many more years need to pass before a Nehemiah comes and says, let's rebuild? Let's rebuild. Let's rebuild. It's our time. It's our task. And it's our talents that God now requires of each and every one of us. Because here's a nation of Nehemiahs. Here's a bunch of Nehemiahs going, come on, we're going to take responsibility for our community. We're going to take responsibility for the Whit Sundays and we're going to build walls around her and we're going to fix the gates and we're going to put watchmen on the walls and we're going to have safe and, 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 and prosperous commerce on the inside. It might be a financial crisis somewhere else, but it is prosperity in Bowen and, with, and in Early Beach and in Collinsville because it is well with the church because she's doing what she was meant to do all along, glorify God and benefit people. It's time. It's time. It's our time. You see, today's message, if we look at Sunday night's message, it was all about strengthen, about strengthening. Today's message is all about structure. Next Sunday is all about substance. And as we look at structure and we turn to the book of Nehemiah, we start to realize that God is doing something awesome in his church. God is doing something pretty amazing. 
and I'm just going to run through the story. You see, 1 verses 2 to 4 says, One of my brothers came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls are broken down, its gates are burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, we've been crying out as a church going, hey, our city is in ruin. We're tired of living in the valley of the dry bones. We're tired of what we see in our town. We're tired of what we hear. God, that you would raise up men and women and young people that would know who they are in you and know whose they are so that they might go out and do what you've called them to do. You jump to chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, and he says there, So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? And then he understands, and we've discussed that. 2, verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6, Then I said to the king, with the queen sitting beside him, ask me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. When Nehemiah finds out, And when Nehemiah hears and inquires of the Lord, and God gives Nehemiah a plan, the first thing Nehemiah does is set a time. It's time. We've set a time as the church. It's time. We are not going to bunk in this house as believers, but we're going to open its doors and its windows so the light would shine out and that it would become a hospital for the hurting. And we've got no idea what that looks like yet. We don't. But God is going to enlarge our territory. He's going to enlarge our boundaries. He's going to stretch our common sense. He's going to push our buttons that we would know what it means to be a hospital for the hurting. And we're the orderlies. We're the doctors. We're the nurses that the chief physician will use to do his work and so we've set a time and the time is now the time is now chapter 2 verse 8 and may I have a letter to Asaph this is Nehemiah talking to the king keeper of the king so he will give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city and the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. You see, God's responsibility is the resources. God will give us the letters that will get us into places where we can get what we need to be that hospital for the hurting, to be that lighthouse that lets the light so shine. You see, when we take our responsibility and say, here I am, God, use me. When we understand that Nehemiah got the word of the Lord, set a time, then God was able to provide the resources. But Nehemiah still had to do something to get it. He had to ask. He had to ask. We're not going to sit here and say, well, God, you know what we need. No, no, he wants to be asked. A father likes to be asked, so he might provide. So he might provide. 2.12, 
jumping ahead. I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And he goes out and he goes and checks out. He goes and surveys the amount of damage with a handful of people. We've done that. We've gone out and had a look with a handful of people. Because God has put a word in my heart. God's put his word in our church. God's put his word in a group of people who are sold out to say as a leadership team, we want to see God glorified in our community and we want to see people benefit. 2.17 to 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruin and its gates have been burnt with fire. Come on, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. You see, the church was fine. The temple was fine. It had been built. They had been worshipping there every single week. Boys, little Jewish boys were being raised up as rabbis and as teachers. They were doing church. But the town laid in ruins. Hello? The town laid in ruins because the walls were not up and the gates were not in place. Verse 19, but, say but, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked, are you rebelling against the king? And the moment the time is set, The letters for the resources are sent out. Nehemiah says, let's start rebuilding because God is with us. And everybody goes, come on, let's rebuild and do this good work. The next thing that steps in is three different groups of people come and go, are you stupid? Are you crazy? Are you rebelling? What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? And what follows, and time doesn't permit me, but in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the first opposition that Nehemiah and the Jews, that the Israelites get, is ridicule. And they start to ridicule him, and to talk down on him, and to make like he doesn't know what he's doing, or what do you think you're doing? And when that doesn't work, they try intimidation, and they start to intimidate Nehemiah to change his mind. And when that doesn't work, they talk about attacking him, and fighting him with the sword, and totally taking him out. And when that doesn't work, the Jews on the inside, busy rebuilding, are getting tired and getting frustrated, and so they start to grumble and here is Nehemiah with ridicule, intimidation attack and even his own people grumbling, then the nations around him try to put fear upon him and after putting fear upon him, the people then actually in in the leadership are charging taxes still to the other Jews and because they're so busy working, they start to starve because they're having to pay taxes and they're having to build and they can't pay work their land because they're building, etc. 
etc., 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 and they're losing their land, and they start to starve to death. And Nehemiah gets real cranky with the leadership team and says, what the heck do you think you're doing? And he puts them in place and says, come on, I'm not going to do anything, take anything extra for me which I deserve and I can take according to the word of God and neither will you. Release these people, cancel all their debts that are outstanding so that they would not starve and let's rebuild. So he says, cut the rubbish, cut it loose, let it go, cancel the debt, forget, forgive, let it go. Let it go. Let the past go. And he said, let's just get on with what we're here to do. Rebuild. Let's rebuild. And let's rebuild in an attitude and in an atmosphere that is fair to everybody. And then they try one last time from the outside to deceive Nehemiah. And they kind of pay somebody to bring him a false prophecy so he would change his mind and do something else. Once Nehemiah had obtained the word of God in his heart and had set a time and had got the king's permission to move forward, ridicule, intimidation, attack, grumbling, fear, starvation and deception and false prophecy all rose up. But you know what I love about Nehemiah? If you look in chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, he says, From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other halves were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a whole bunch of people all working together to achieve one common purpose, rebuilding the walls. And those who built were allowed to build in safety because someone was holding the sword to protect them. Someone was there to hold cover their back. Someone was there to, to protect and enable them. And those others who were, had to walk around carrying bricks, well, they had to learn how to use a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. How to build with one hand and defend with the other. But it says everybody got a job. Didn't matter who you were. Whether you were a local laborer making mud bricks or whether you were a nobleman or an official or an officer, everyone had a responsibility. You were either building or protecting. And for some, they had to build and protect. And it says they never went anywhere, if you read the next verse, without a sword. And there was a trumpet that was with Nehemiah. And he said, when the trumpet sounds, you come to the trumpet because that's where the attack is. And what would happen is when the trumpet sounded, everyone would come together and they'd fight the enemy and then everyone would go back building. I don't know, it sounds like it was working pretty good. Because it was working that good, in 52 days they rebuilt the temple, uh, the walls. In 52 days they performed a miracle at the hand of God. Chapter 6, 
verse 15 and 16 says, So the war was completed on the 25th of Elul in, the 50, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. You see, it took years for them to get to that point of rebuilding the walls. But when it started and everybody worked together, it was done quick. Amidst all the attack, ridicule, intimidation, grumbling, fear, starvation, deception, false prophecy, it was done. 52 days. And the nations were terrified. They lost their confidence. The enemy loses his confidence because he realizes God's building. Bible says, unless the Lord builds, we labor in vain. And we're just building a monument to bring glory to us. So when God builds, we labor fruitfully. We labor, and there's a reward from the rewarder. Just jump to chapter 12. We'll do the other chapters in the middle next week. Chapter 12, verse 27. At the dedication of the walls of the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs, thanksgiving, and with music of cymbals and harps and lyres. And the singers also were brought together from the region, from all over, will jump over, and they purified themselves ceremonially. They purified the people, the gates and the wall. And what he literally does then is have two choirs. And he has a choir stand up and start to worship God for what he's done. And they celebrate what God is doing. They celebrate it. If I could just have you please, Sal. I've shared a lot of scriptures this morning. And I just wanted to jump, jump through the journey of Nehemiah as God uses him to build structure and strengthening to the local people so that they might accomplish what God has called them to do. You see, God's called us to be a lighthouse church. There isn't a doubt on that. I honor those who have gone before us. You see, we don't need to plow the land because someone else plowed it. We don't need to put the boundary stones in place because someone else did. But we've got to work the land for a fresh harvest. And we've got to protect the boundaries. And you go to an old farm And as pretty as what a broken old timber ant-infested fence looks in a photo, it is useless in keeping the cows in and the feral animals out. Walls were built around our community, around the Whitsundays, 
and they're lying in disrepair. Just look at our communities. And you know, we're quick to point the finger to the devil and say, look what the devil has done. How about we point the finger first and say, what did I allow him to do? The church is rebuilt. The church is a healthy place. There is peace in the house of God. There is purpose in the house of God. How many years are we going to wait before we go build the walls, fix the gates, and take responsibility? You see, God didn't put the church in Bowen for us. He put the church in Bowen for them. I can point fingers if you want me to. I'm going to point at one person. You see, God, Barry, may I use you as an example, please? God put the church in Bowen for people like Barry. One day you can talk to him and hear his testimony. So a hurting man becomes a healed man, becomes a whole man, becomes a profitable man, becomes a man who carries seed in his hand, becomes a man who carries seed in his hand that produces fruit that carries seed. Just pick one person. I can point to me, to you, to you. I heard stories about this guy wearing cigarette boxes underneath his t-shirts. It's the only place to keep them. (laughs) Come on. It's time. The 80th birthday is significant. When I look at it, God knew beforehand. God had all of this in hand beforehand. And we're his people and he loves us. And this is his community and he loves them. All across the Wood Sundays, the state, the nation, and the nations of this world. Come on. Let's be strengthened. Let's get what it is to have structure. And let's be filled with his substance. You know what's cool about the Valley of Dry Bones? When there is structure, the framework. When there is substance, the flesh and the tendons. Only all, all, all uh, Ezekiel has to do is speak God's word. All he has to do is speak God's word. He doesn't have to do a single thing. Because he says, you alone know, Lord. And God says, prophesy breath. (laughs) And the Spirit of the Lord fills them. And they become a mighty army. I look at our community this morning. With God and Hugh as my witness. And I know his word for them is, just speak it. Just speak it. Just speak it. Speak it into the uh, party culture in Ely Beach. Speak it into, into the apathy in Bowen. Speak it into that self-centered, communistic Collinsville. They're, both, they're all beautiful places, but that's the spirit behind them. And watch the army come to life again. Watch the army. Come on.
Nehemiah said, God's hand of favor is upon me. I'm going to build. Who's with me? It's your chance to say, let us rebuild and do this good work. Before you leave here today, you're actually going to have to say those words. Because if to leave here without saying those words, saying nothing means saying no. And I'm cool with whatever you say because that's between you and God. That's between you and God and you need to make that decision for yourself. But I don't know about you. Let's rebuild. Let's rebuild. Let's rebuild. Let's rebuild. And so you might say, well, Dwayne, what does regrouping look like? What does being strengthened look like? For us in Bowen, it doesn't really affect us that much. But while I was away in Brisbane attending a forum, ACC forum with Trevor, God gave me a prophetic word, just in conversation. And God gave me a word, a one word, and I turned to Trevor as we were driving. And I said, God's given me a word, and I'm going to say it. And as I said it, a whole sentence came out of my mouth. And I kind of looked at Trevor, and we looked at each other, and I went kind of like, I better write that down, hey. That sounded like, thus said the Lord. And I wrote it down on my phone straight away. And the word of peace that, that, that I will share this morning is that to regroup is not a sign of weakness, but it is a strategy to attack. You see, retreat is weakness. Retreat is running away from what you were meant to do. But to regroup is to come back, be strengthened, that we might go out stronger than before. So for Bowen, that does not have too much of an impact. But what I'm doing, and I've discussed this with Pastor Dolph as um, assistant pastor and one of the elders, is that I'm bringing Early Beach and Collinsville back on a Sunday morning. So we're going to have church here Sunday morning. And we're going to run midweek services in Early Beach, a life group here in Bowen that is already running, and in Collinsville. We're going to run a midweek service. We're still going to care for the kids in Collinsville because we're already running a high school lunchtime program and we're now going to pioneer an afternoon Sunday school type program and be able to reach more kids after school. And we're going to work in Early Beach to achieve the same thing. As a church, we want to leave um, footprints all over the community. So in Early Beach, we, we will still continue. Owen will still continue to meet with the pastors there. She will still continue to work with the domestic violence and, and, and with Sunday crisis counseling. We're still going to go out with the team at Red Fro- to support the Red Frog chaplains during schoolies week. We're still going to help YWAM hand Bibles out and pray. We're still going to help the community in Collinsville. You see, we're still doing what we're meant to do. But for the next season, we're going to regroup. And Sunday, we're going to be strengthened. 
so that we can go out during the week and reach. You see, in the past, we've been driven by venue. It's all been about Ely Beach or Bowen or Collinsville. But from July 1, it's going to be about what are we doing in our community? What are we doing when we gather? And how do we care? It's not about a venue anymore. It's it's not about the form. It's about function. It's not about models. It's about what's the outcome. And God said, it's not about tradition. It's all about people. It's all about him. So go on, do some good work, and let your light shine. So technically, you're going, wow, we thought major things were going to change. No. But it is significant for Collinsville and Early Beach. So we're changing how we do church out there. We have a responsibility, Bowen Christian Family Center, to build walls around the Whit Sundays, which includes Collinsville and Early Beach. And we're going to change from a form church to a function. You see, we've been trying to look at models and find ways to make it work. Where Jesus said, I am the way, just follow me. Glorify God and benefit other people. That's it. That's it. It's about the function. And so you'll hear me speak about what are we doing in our community? What are we doing when we gather? And what are we doing to care? And that will be the driving force. Walk, influence, live and love so that your light so shines before men that they will see your good works benefiting other people and give God all the glory. This is not about me. It's not about my pastors or the leadership team. It's not about the board. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about him who deserves all the glory. And it's about them who need to share and hear the benefits that God has blessed us with. You've just heard another great message from Christian Family Center. Thank you so much for listening in. If you have any questions about today's message or Christian Family Center, feel free to email us at info at whitsundayacc.com.au or call us on 07 4786 5555. See you next week.